I learned a lot of lessons, proverbs, axioms, and helpful sayings when I was young. We used to pass around Chinese proverbs like, A journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. My parents used to say that when I was faced with a huge school assignment, like a semester paper I had to write, and I was feeling overwhelmed. You've all heard that one. Here's another one. He who asks is a fool for five minutes, but he who does not ask remains a fool forever. And of course, one of my favorites is this. Man who waits for roast duck to fly into his mouth must wait a very, very long time. These are fun and can be very meaningful, but this week we study the Proverbs of Solomon and we have much to learn. Welcome to Meridian Magazine's Come Follow Me podcast. We are Scott and Maureen Proctor, and we're delighted to be with you again this week as we study the books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And returning to be with us today is Patrick Dane, a dear friend, amazing teacher and author. Patrick, you have four children. You teach at the Logan Institute. You've been a writer. You're the author of Types and Shadows of the Old Testament. You lead tours, and you are crazy about ancient Rome and ancient Greece. So there's no wonder that you are a good one to talk about wisdom with us today. So welcome to the show, and give us a little bit of an overview of these two books, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, so we begin to know where we are looking. Scott and Maureen, I am, uh, first of all, grateful to be here. I love these books. Absolutely have been transformed, committed, uh, many of these proverbs to memory, as many of you have. I, I absolutely love them. Uh, I do love the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, or as the Jews would say, the Tanakh, the Torah. Uh, you also have the Nevi'im and the Ketuvim. These are part of the Ketuvim, or the wisdom sayings, uh, because it, it represents this collection uh, of, of truths uh, maxims that have come together, uh, what it means to live a whole and complete life as a community, as we would say as we walk along the covenant path. But uh, Proverbs is divided, and you can see this in, in very specific sections where you'll have the first nine chapters are contain ten speeches uh, of a father to his son uh, very deliberately, and then you have uh, four uh, poems from Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom, this um, uh, the book of Proverbs uh, incarnates her uh, as as like a woman, a real woman who who uh, incarnates these virtues of, of what it means to have and to be a possessor of wisdom. So those are the first nine chapters. And then you have uh, the chapters that everyone loves to commit to memory. In fact, the ancients would have committed the, this next section to memory, which and that's what you have in cha chapters 10 through 29. And they address everything. I mean, applications of right living uh, related to marriage and work and intimacy and how one should speak and uh, what it means to forgive and, and how to have a, a whole friendship with one. Those are the, that's chapters 10 through 29. And then the conclusion of the chapters, you have two poems. Uh, one of the poems is, is by a man by the name of Agur. Uh, some believe it, it could be a code name for Solomon himself, but his name, regardless, this new name, uh, is it means gathered, and I like to see chapter thirty as part of the conclusion is when I am a possessor of wisdom or in the pursuit of wisdom and trusting the Lord, then I am one who's gathered in. That's really what the name of Agur means. And then you have uh, chapter thirty-one, which is uh, the proverbs of or the wisdom of Lemuel. There's a name that many members of the church are familiar with, Lemuel, but he's a non-Israelite king. 
uh, and his name means one who belongs to God. Uh, but then you have some of the most quotable sections in the book of Proverbs with our Young Women program in actual chapter 31. So uh, I think the overview of the book of Proverbs is profound because the first nine chapters is introduction, the Proverbs themselves, chapters 10 through 29, and then you have the, the conclusion or the, or the reiteration of these things in chapters 30 and 31. Now, Ecclesiastes, many people get uh, upset with the book of Ecclesiastes because well, all, all this light and this truth and the buoyancy and the wonder that you'll find in the book of Proverbs and wisdom sayings, and then immediately you go into the book of Ecclesiastes and, oh, vanity and vanity, or as you'll see in other uh, translations, uh, meaninglessness, meaninglessness. And and that is, as members of our church, we really, we, in fact, it's one of our articles of faith, we believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it is translated correctly. And that word that gets translated as vanity or meaninglessness is, is really a bad translation. The Hebrew word is hevel, which actually is akin to breath or um, vapors or smoke that gets in the way. Because all that the book, the Proverbs gives you the rules and these maxims, these wonderful ways of living so that you can be a possessor of wisdom. But then Ecclesiastes is another voice that comes in and says, but there are exceptions. There are always exceptions. There's a variability to these things. And you see three major principles come out in the book of Ecclesiastes. And to be honest, Ecclesiastes for me is what's given me perspective when I, I'm trying to live the Proverbs and it doesn't seem to work out where I thought it would work out, it's Ecclesiastes that comes to the rescue. Because Ecclesiastes is the written word that gives me perspective on, on some of these exceptions and how to deal with these exceptions in life. And, and that's why I love the book of Ecclesiastes. And I personally believe we should read them together. Proverbs and get the rules, the standards, in fact, it's a bad, bad way of saying rules. Get the Proverbs, which is a little bit different than rules. Get the Proverbs and the wisdom sayings, and then how to deal with the exceptions. And that's what Ecclesiastes is. And I, and I love those two books that come together like this. Well, for example, one of the things we love from Proverbs is train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he shall not depart from it. And, and yet, we who try so hard as parents to do just that sometimes see that they do depart from the way they've been trained. And, and so Ecclesiastes does give us kind of an additional tempering of that because otherwise it's so easy as a parent to feel like you failed if your children don't grow up and follow a particular prescription that you hoped they would follow. Or it's easy to carry guilt your whole life, like you missed an opportunity. It was your fault that a child went astray. So I'm interested in your musings on, on that, because when we give exact formulas like that, and then it doesn't work out, it's easy to be disheartened. I, I believe that as well. And in fact, when you were saying that, I recall uh, from the recent General Conference, where he said, Elder Christofferson, we ought not to think of God's plan as a cosmic vending machine where we, one, select a desired blessing, two, insert the required sum of good works, and three, the order is promptly delivered. And then Elder Christofferson says, God will indeed honor his covenants and promises to each of us. We need not worry about that. And so to, to view the Proverbs as if I do A, I will get B is, is a misreading of what Proverbs, even what a proverb is. Uh, and, and so the question would be for me is, why are they not so predictable? Why it, is God capricious like these ancient Greek gods, perhaps? And, and the answer to that would be no, he's not. So why isn't it so simple? Why can't I just insert something A and B? And, and I would contend very 
simply, in fact, it's simple to understand, I think it's very difficult to, to, to live, is, is God wants us freely. He wants us freely choosing him. Uh, I think sometimes what would happen to the numbers of the membership of the church if only the so-called righteous, however you want to define that, uh, uh, receive all the blessings, and it only storms on the so-called wicked or, or bad people, however you want to define that. Well, membership of the church would obviously increase, but, but for what reason? Uh, it's, it turns God into a mercenary or a vending machine, as Elder Christofferson said. No, there, there, there's right ways of seeing and living, but there will be questions, there will be exceptions, there, there will be things that cause you to cry out, as like Joseph Smith did in Liberty Jail, oh God, where art thou? Or, or Jesus, uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There's always these exceptions and these wrenches that get thrown into the system that, that enable us to really learn to trust rather than just turn us into mercenaries. And, and to me, that's one of the major, if not the major principle I draw from these two books, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, is he wants me freely, of my own free will out of love. That's what I get from these books. And I think that we have to see these in perspective. We see them in a lifelong view. I think God sees things in such a, an enormous context, and we sometimes see things in the vending machine context. And I remember just my learning, one of the great promises of the Proverbs, when I was a youth, Elder O. Leslie Stone came to our stake, and he spoke to us, and he, he promised all the youth that if you would keep the commandments and hold fast to the iron rod, all the righteous desires of your hearts would be realized, including violins and fireworks and romance. And, and of course, as a 16-year-old, I thought, okay, that's just what I want. I want to have all those things, and I'm going to be faithful and true. But that was a pretty tall order, I know, but I trusted Elder Stone. So many years later, I was at a really low point in my life, and I was seeking guidance from the Lord, and I actually went to the Salt Lake Cemetery. I love cemeteries, and I gain a lot of peace there, and sometimes I'll go to a cemetery and just pray. And so I went there just to a random turn-in and parked the car and walked into the cemetery, and I ended up at the gravestone of President N. Eldon Tanner. I had no idea that that's where it was, but I, I sat down on the grass and I began to ponder and pray. And I looked at his stone and it said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And I thought, I've done that all my life and I'll continue to do that. But I felt that I hadn't yet received the answer that I needed. And as I prayed, I heard the Spirit whisper to me, Look at the stone. And I thought, well, I am. And I did so again and I looked at that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And the Spirit whispered again, Look at the stone. So I did so again. I looked at it again with greater intensity and wonder, maybe thinking that I had missed something. Still, no new revelation. The Spirit then whispered to me a third time, look at the stone. I glanced around in case I was not seeing what I was supposed to see, and there, not very far at all from President Tanner's grave, was another marker that said in all capital letters, STONE and it was the grave of Elder O. Leslie Stone. His epitaph read, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. 
in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Of course, this is from Proverbs chapter 3. All the youth of the church know this, but all the promises that he had said to me in my youth came back to me. I was filled with the Spirit and filled with calm. I knew that I had been led to this very spot, and this was a renewal of the hope and assurance from my youth, from Elder Stone, that all would be well, that all the righteous desires of my heart would be realized. And have they ever been? I'm the happiest man in the world. But it hasn't been without trials and without the things that I've had to go through. But it was a real testimony to me of the power and truth of the Proverbs. Uh, Scott, I, I, I mean this sincerely. That is profound. In fact, I personally feel like that. I, I need that myself, to hear you say that or to hear someone say that. I. I, um, you see that promise in the Book of Mormon a lot. If you keep the commandments of God, you shall prosper the land. And so you, you just bank on that. You know, what, what does that mean? And so I will keep God's commandments. And then sometimes it doesn't seem to turn out to what you thought prospering was supposed to mean. And, um, but Scott, when you say that, I, uh, that story, you're right. It really does come back to learning to trust in the Lord. Uh, the rock of our Redeemer and His timing. It will come, as I think of the Doctrine and Covenants, it will come in His own time and in His own way. And uh, and my, my thoughts are not your thoughts, saith the Lord. That's what Isaiah said. And and I always seem to want things my way, according to my timing, in the way that I will recognize. And then suddenly I realize, well, who's God then? Are you, am I the God or, or, or is the, the actual God and His will that I, I ought to be seeking? And... Um, that's profound, Scott. I, I, I mean that sincerely. Thank you. What I love about this whole book of Proverbs, too, is it reminds us that wisdom is something to be sought. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that we aren't just somehow born wise. That wisdom is an achievement. That wisdom is something we really search after so we know the right way to be and the way to understand things. And we live in a world that doesn't suggest we should seek anything but the fulfillment of our own will and self-gratification and that our truth is the only truth and our desire is the only desire and that's what carries the day and it is such a loss it's become a very thin world because of that because wisdom being something to achieve is something worth searching your whole life for it's worth being on a quest for for your whole life and I love the part where the the father is talking to the son here in Proverbs because in my life my my father also talked to us a, a son with a bit of wisdom that has stayed in our family forever that is my three elder brothers had paper routes and that meant that in any kind of climate but particularly in the winter when it was very, very tough. They had to get on those bikes and put those heavy newspapers across the sides and just pedal up those hills and deliver those, those newspapers. And I remember once my brother Reese had had enough, and he said that he really wanted to quit his paper route. This was in the middle of the winter. And honestly, the snowdrifts that were along the road, we had a lot snowier days in those days. The snowdrifts along the side of the road and the traffic coming by on then State Street was really tough for him. And my father said this profound bit of wisdom. He said, 
You can quit in the summer when it's easy, but you can't quit in the winter when it's hard. And that has stayed with us and our whole family ever since. Every time we're faced with something hard, we imbibe this bit of wisdom from my father that we can't quit because it's hard. We can quit in the summer when it's easy, but not in the winter when it's hard. And so um, when my brother got Parkinson's disease, and it was the time of COVID as well, so he was in an assisted living, and we found a picture of um, him with my dad and his bicycle. And we took it to him and we marked a saying on the bottom, you can quit in the summer when it's easy, but not in the winter when it's cold. And isn't it interesting how wisdom is something we step up to, we learn, and we pass on to our children. And that's what God's trying to do to us as well, pass on to his children his wisdom, which is so much bigger than what we can see in our own small, very self-centered, very self-absorbed world. That's why these, this whole idea of a proverb is a beautiful thing to me. I love that uh, statement, that saying from your father. I mean, it's amazing what we learn from parents, only if we had the, uh, the courage to follow through and to live those wonderful wisdom sayings. As you are using it, I, can we look at a verse right here? In, in, I'm thinking of Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, I think is a key passage here. Uh, Proverbs 1, verse 7 is specifically the phrase, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And the idea of... of of fear is yirah in Hebrew, which is the idea of a, of a reverence or respect, but in the context of wisdom, which is chokmah, which implies, it always implies action. So it's not just an intellectual apprehension of, of truth, it's, it's you are humble enough, that's the idea of yirah or fear, yet that you are humble enough, you are broken enough. It's something that I think that Moses said uh, in Moses uh, chapter 1, verse 10, where he says, Now for this cause I know that man is nothing, which thing I never had opposed. Once we get to the point where we are open, or as Jesus says, to lose oneself to find yourself, once we are open and ready and broken and contrite, uh, then this wisdom begins to permeate and, and enter in, and, and always that it implies an action. It's the idea of hokum, or wisdom, where where we, we feel and sense these truths, uh, uh, almost like, as, as the Lord says to Joseph Smith, like the dews of Carmel, uh, uh, distilling upon our souls, and therefore right action is what is necessary. I love that idea with, with the summer and the winter and quitting. Um, you don't quit in wintertime. You, know, you can quit in the summertime. There's no summer soldiers, to pick up a phrase from President Monson and uh, in ancient warfare is that, that the, the time for the real warrior, uh, 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 the time for summertime is training, but then, is in, but then it, when the real winter season set in, that's when the wisdom uh, motivates you to action. Um, uh, great saying from your father, incidentally, Maureen. Well, and it does seem to me that being a covenant people means we're always seeking through the Lord to make more of ourselves, which is add wisdom to ourselves. And that doesn't happen as long as we think that we are self-sufficient and that we already know it. You know, we live in a world of memes 
the memes come thick and fast and we see them all the time and I don't mean memes from general conference I mean just the general general memes we get and if that's all the farther our wisdom goes it won't be far enough because the Lord has something much greater for us and that's going to involve the obtaining of wisdom true living and and aligning with him and aligning with wisdom which means we want to sacrifice and let die those parts of us that are weak and blind i think that uh, each of our listeners would do well to consider the teachings the proverbs the axioms the sayings that they have garnered from their own background and their own past. This is something Maureen and I do at our cousin's camp that we have for our grandchildren. We teach them the stories of our family. And out of that comes some of these very things that make them strong. The story that Maureen just told is one that we've told to our children and our grandchildren many times. And it's part of our family culture. And I remember when I got off my mission, I uh, was helping my mom with a major cleaning project that summer. We were, we were cleaning out the shed, one of our sheds on the farm, and we lived in a rural area outside of Rolla, Missouri, and we didn't have trash pickup, so one of my duties growing up was burning all the trash. So we were burning a ton of trash that day, and we'd been burning all kinds of things, worn out items and old junk from the shed, but then she picked up our old ice cream maker it was one of those that was made of wooden slats and had two or three metal bands around the wood to hold them together and a wire handle. We made so many batches of homemade ice cream, hand-cranked ice cream on the 4th of July and many other occasions. And that ice cream maker really meant something to me. And it carried just years of memories and happiness to me and mom was going to throw it into the fire and as she literally went to throw it I grabbed it from her before it perished in the flames and as I wrested it from her it burst apart into pieces onto the ground it was so old the wood had rotted and the metal rings had rusted and as I was gasping in shock seeing this thing fall to the ground and going into pieces my mother said that my son is where moth and rust doth corrupt. And knowing the scriptures well, <laughs> mom just pulled that out. And it was one of those searing moments that I realized that my heart was set on something. Yes, it was an important item, but it was just, it was just rust. It was nothing. But that saying has just gone down forever in our family. Again, one of those axioms, proverbs, teachings, whatever you'd like to call it. And as as to our listeners, gather those things in your family that are important, the sayings that your parents, your grandparents have taught you, and make them part of your family story. Now, Patrick, you say that these books have profoundly transformed you. What are some of the ideas that particularly have moved your soul in these books? Well, in a few ways. In, in fact, uh, Scott, your, your mother is truly a woman of wisdom. <laughs> wow, that was truly profound. Um, but yes, to your question, uh, Maureen, uh, first and foremost, it is, it is the, the proverb that the youth of the church are learning. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding, you know, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And that is 
wonderful. It's on the surface. It's it's wonderful to memorize, but it's the application that is so dastardly in, in my life. Where he shall direct thy paths. Well, what if I want to go a different direction? And where, where repentance is, is a joyful journey. Well, no, uh, for me, uh, here, well, here's a proverb from my own family. Uh, I, I learned that, it, here it is, you don't have to stick your head in the garbage can to know it stinks. That's something I learned growing up, and, but I seem to always have to stick my head in the garbage can anyway because I'm not trusting in my parents' wisdom or trusting in the word of the Lord or trusting. I, I seem to learn through the, the school of hard knocks many times. Let me give you some examples. So, so there's that. So the wisdom sayings, and as I, here's how they've profoundly influenced me is is that idea of trust, and we don't trust in that which we do not know, uh, and this goes across the board. I don't trust my suburban uh, necessarily right now because I I know it's got many issues associated with it. I I don't trust my wife driving it because she may end up in in the canyon somewhere stuck because I know what the suburban is right now. So we don't trust what uh, we don't know. So therefore, to trust in the Lord, I have to get to know him. And and that, that verse in the Doctrine and Covenants has deeply profound, influenced me is, learn of me and listen to my words, walk in the meekness of my spirit, and then you shall have peace. So there's one is I have to learn to get to know him. Once I know him, then my trust in him will increase. And thus, learning these proverbs, really between chapters 10 and 29, become uh, that much more um, important. Another way, though, the Proverbs have influenced me is seeing the, the, the seeming conflict in them. Let me give you some examples from the book of Proverbs. Well, you, you've heard some of the famous ones. The soft answer turneth away wrath. That's Proverbs 15, for example. Or pride goeth before destruction. I think that's the number one proverb I heard from my mother is pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Um, but the ones that have – let me give you the second principle is these Proverbs have caused me to reflect deeper on gospel principles. Let me give you two examples. Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17, verse 22, very specifically, where a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. And and you hear that, oh, that's a wonderful saying. I ought to commit that to memory. And, and you know, uh, there's uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. And, uh, but it's this broken spirit that drieth the bones. Well, there's a seeming conflict here then. Because what do you do with those passages of Scripture where the Lord invites us, in fact, even commands us? In 3 Nephi 9 and 10, he does this very deliberately, that, that there's no sacrifice that is acceptable but a broken heart and a contrite spirit. So what does it mean? Is, is there a difference in Proverbs 17 when he says, a broken spirit drieth the bones? Is that different than having a broken heart? If there is, in what way? Or or. Are they sister virtues in some way? Is having a broken spirit that drieth the bones, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? And that's caused me to really reflect, is there a conflict here between what I'm learning from Proverbs and what I'm learning from the resurrected Lord in the Book of Mormon? Let me give you another one. Uh, This is Proverbs 31. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Beauty is vain, and and then you see, uh, what do you do with the trans- transcendental virtues of that which is uh, good, uh, true, and beautiful? Uh, what does it mean to fear the Lord? It is is the seeking of beauty a vanity? Uh, what does he mean by this? And it it so that's the second principle how it's blessed my life is I read these maxims and these proverbs, and it causes me to say, all right. What are the deeper implications, and are, is there a conflict here? And it invites further revelation uh, on these things. And that's really how the book of Proverbs has blessed my life in a very positive way. I like that idea so much that certain things invite further pondering and understanding. 
just like trust in the Lord. That really is something we all have to wrestle with when bad things happen to us. It's sort of the question of Job, you know. Bad things happen to us and we feel a sense of real pain and anguish. And we say, thou could change this. Thou art all powerful and you're letting me experience this. And, and then that's when you begin to say, since I was a child, I've learned this verse, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. So that is part of the mantra of my spirit. Now I have to know what it means in real life. And I love that invitation it is to really ponder and apply and learn. And honestly, some of these deep things, it takes so much to learn them. We learn them and then we a new situation with a different variability comes up. A new situation with a different variable comes up and we have to relearn it again and reponder it again. These things are deep, but I think it is this journey that does make us wise. Amen. Amen to that. I was looking at Proverbs chapter 4 and verses 26 and 27. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. This is a real course correction item for us to stay on the straight and narrow path, not to go to the right or to the left. It reminds me of the tree of life. It reminds me of those who are going into forbidden paths. If they had this in their lives, they would not. It reminds me of holding fast to the iron rod. It reminds me of the strength of obedience in the Lord and what that does for us and how much power that gives to our lives. I, I love that uh, Proverbs 4. You know, Scott, that proverb that you just shared, though, um, is very similar uh, that you'll find later in um, Proverbs 16, verse 3, where commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. And that begs the question, established in what way? Established where? How will my thoughts be established? And I love what you did with Proverbs 4, because there's a path. And uh, it, it seems to me, as I read through the Proverbs, there's a consistent theme here, that to be established, there's a way, there's, there's a path, and that way, that path, that establishment is in the life and uh, the one who is the life, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, when you, and you mentioned the idea of the, uh, the tree of life. And as you go through the scriptures, okay, what is the tree of life? Well, or rather, who is a tree of life? Well, he's the love of God. But, but who is the love of God? It's Jesus Christ. You see that in 1 Nephi 11, verse 6, where the angel rejoices because he, uh, uh, Hosanna to the Lord, the most high God, Nephi learns right there, because you believe in the Son of the most high God. Jesus Christ is the tree of life. But then if you look at what is the path, okay, you talk about Proverbs chapter 4, uh, establishing our feet along the path. Well, what or who is the path? And well, he said, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, he is the gate of the path. You learn that also. You learn from Isaiah that he carries us along the path. And as you look at all these images of the tree of life, that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is in all these images. He is everywhere. My job, as you look at this, um, at least with Isaiah, very particularly, is to stay in the embrace of his love, to stay 
encircled in the arms of his love, to not deviate by jumping out of his arms, as it were, this covenantal embrace, then he will establish my path. That's what you're learning from Proverbs. But the moment I jump out, the moment I start doing my own thing, and the Greeks had a word for it. The, Greek, uh, the word in Greek is hubris, this violent arrogance, this where it's my way and there is no highway. That, that, that's the idea. And the Lord says, no, there, there are something higher and holier, and that is God, and his ways are higher than your ways. And the sooner I come to learn that, I will be enveloped in his love. And those are some of the ideas that you see getting established on the path or established in in the truth. And this path and this truth is a person, and this person is Jesus Christ. Well, and I think the invitation then is to live intentionally, intentionally walking with the Lord, intentionally allowing yourself to be enfolded in his robes of righteousness, intentionally um, choosing how you're going to spend your day and and not to be derailed from that because it is so easy to be derailed by exhaustion, burnout, disappointment, fear, all the many things that stand in the way of our following that path and looking not to the left nor to the right. So the more we can establish ourselves, that's such a strong word, It's it means more than one thing you're doing. It means that you're establishing your your roots deep. It's like when you build something in a in an area where there's a lot of water and you have to go way deep to begin to find bedrock. Sometimes I think some of the the temples have had that issue and have had to go really deep into into the earth, you know, 40 feet, 50 feet to to build a foundation. And that's what we have to do. We have to go deep to build a foundation that will stay and will be intentional. I love your idea of intentional. Isn't that really what the heart is, is, is to love the Lord like God with all our, our heart, is this intentional choosing, turning my will in an intentional way. I love that, Maureen. Well done. It reminds me, of, again, this is from my mother. Whenever we would drive along, through, especially through, oh, say, southern Utah with the beautiful scenery there, and there would be a tree going straight out of the rock where there was simply no place that those roots could have found soil, my mother would always say, look at that tree, Maureen. It is fighting to stay alive, and look how it's growing against all odds because that tree has character. She would always use that as a character lesson. You want to be like that tree that can grow straight out of the rock, no matter how hard it is. You don't want to be like a palm tree with shallow roots that blows over in the in the windstorms. And I that was such a great thing for me because that talked about intentionality and staying with the Lord at all costs, or as they used to say in church history, at all hazards. I, I will be there at all hazards. That is the path I have chosen, and I've chosen it intentionally, and I want wisdom. I don't want to stay in the shallow, self-seeking, self-absorbed world that I'm uh, um, a part of and invited to be a part of in this secular society we live in. You know, as I was studying for this lesson this week, I was led to a talk that was given about 40-plus years ago at BYU by Bruce R. McConkie, and he was giving uh, some axioms that I thought were very important, and they kind of go right along with our 
general teaching here in the Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes, but he gave us 10 axioms. I just wanted to share those. This is from a talk in uh, June of 1980. He says, now let me list some axioms. One, there is no salvation in believing a false doctrine. And then truth, diamond truth, truth unmixed with error, truth alone leads to salvation. What we believe determines what we do. No man can be saved in ignorance of God and his laws. Man is saved no faster than he gains knowledge of Jesus Christ and the saving truths of his everlasting gospel. Gospel doctrines belong to the Lord, not to men. They are his. He ordained them, he reveals them, and he expects us to believe them. The doctrines of salvation are not discovered in a laboratory or on a geological field trip or by accompanying Darwin around the world. They come by revelation and in no other way. Our sole concern in seeking truth should be to learn and believe what the Lord knows and believes. Providentially, he has set forth some of his views in the Holy Scriptures. And number nine, our goal as mortals is to gain the mind of Christ, to believe what he believes, to think what he thinks, to say what he says, to do what he does, and to be as he is. And number 10, we are called upon to reject all heresies and cleave unto all truth. Only then can we progress according to the divine plan, as the Lord has said. And I love those axioms. I love how they draw us into the Lord and to his doctrines and to draw us close into the heart of Christ. Proverbs beautiful, wonderful statements of, of truth, of communal living, living in the light of, of God's wisdom and his, his virtues. Profound. And then as you read Ecclesiastes, there's some vapor, there's some smoke that, that gets in the way of, of being so predictable, of dealing with the, uh, the outliers in life. Um, when things go south and you don't plan on them going south, um, that word hevel I mentioned before it gets translated many different ways, but it's the idea of this vapor, this the smoke that gets in the way. And and as I as we talk about maybe Ecclesiastes for just a few moments here, there's three major principles that that the teacher or um, the preacher sometimes gets translated as Ecclesiastes does mention that we're dealing with things issues of time. You read that in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 4 is one generation passeth, passeth away, another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. And, and, and it gets quite morose um, because there's the principle of death he deals with in chapter 3 and then the, the unpredictability of life in chapter 9 that there's so many factors that you cannot control. It creates a smoke. There's this vapor that gets in our way. And, uh, but I love what Elder David A. Bednar taught where he says sometimes the sun rises on a morning that is a cloudy or foggy, but because of the overcast conditions, perceiving the light is more difficult and identifying the precise moment when the sun rises over the horizon is not possible. But on such a morning, we nonetheless have sufficient light to recognize a new day and to conduct our affairs. And he talks about the principle of revelation, taking that little step forward, but trusting in the Lord. And, 
And, and maybe the most oftenly quoted passage in the book of Ecclesiastes is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And, and maybe to tie Proverbs and Ecclesiastes together, I, I've mentioned this to uh, my own children. I've mentioned this to my own seminary students when I was teaching seminary, that, that you can pretty much do whatever you want as long as you can answer this question. And it comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. You can answer this question and act accordingly. That's the idea of what wisdom is. And the question is, what time is it? If you can answer that question effectively and live in accor- accordingly, there, there's really nothing else you need to worry about. And the idea there's a time and a season for all things under the heavens, a, you know, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to, uh, to, to cease from plucking up, a time to dance and time to mourn. And you get through these, these sayings from the preacher. And the idea of wisdom is this, is that if you know what time it is and act appropriately, Sometimes it is time time to pluck up. Sometimes it's time to plant. Sometimes it's time to laugh. Sometimes, you, as you look at the life of our Lord, and it's time to flip over the money changers' tables. Other times, it's it's time to kneel down and in the ground with a woman caught in adultery. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And it seems to be that wisdom is what the Lord is. And as we uh, orchestrate our time and conduct our affairs in the concept of wisdom, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, then act accordingly. That's what time it always is. And it will never be as predictable as we think it is. But as we learn to trust in him, then I love the the final statement from the book of uh, uh, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 12, verse 13, where he says, let us hear hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, or that's that respect or reverence for God, Keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Again, because we cannot control all the outcomes. All we can do is is to learn wisdom, and all thy getting, get wisdom and understanding. Trust in the Lord. That is our duty. But do not expect things to go exactly the way you thought they would go. But the Lord will provide. The Lord um, uh, will bless. There's something really profound in what you said in accepting what God is. He's not you. He is not here to just fulfill your wishes in your time frame. He's got something bigger and better and more loving and more fulfilling and more intelligent. And if we can accept what God is, what he is, and what he's doing with us, then we can begin to truly trust him instead of fight against him and wish that he were someone somehow different. That's all for today. Thank you so much for joining us, and we're so grateful to have had Patrick Dane with us. Next week, we'll be studying Isaiah chapters 1 through 12 in a lesson entitled, God is My Salvation. We'd like to thank Paul Cardall for the music which accompanies this podcast and for our producer, Michaela Proctor-Hutchins. Have a wonderful week, and see you next time.